In this episode, we interview Jan Broberg. Mm-hmm. We went back and rewatched her documentary on Netflix called Abducted in Plain Sight. You know, that's not an easy one to get through. Mm-mm. Wow. So Jan is the little girl who is now an adult yeah. uh, who was kidnapped. More than once, as mm-hmm. it turns out. Wow. So, yeah, stay tuned for that interview. Interesting, to say the least. <laughs> it is. Be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Latter-day Lesbian, the podcast about an ex-Mormon gay girl just trying to figure out her life. And I'm Mary. And I'm Shelly. <laughs> and Shelly, we have a special guest today. I'm so excited. So we met Jan back in October, I want to say, of 2019, the start yeah, of General at, uh, Conference. Sam Young's. Protect Every Child rally in Salt Lake City. Yeah. No shocker that Jan was there. No shocker at all. No. And there was a long line to talk to you. I'll never forget it. And so we stood in line and waited our turn. Oh, I pushed people out of the way. I was like, (laughs) um, I want to meet Jan. I want to meet her. I know. We had seen your documentary. And so I want to introduce Jan Broberg, the Netflix documentary that everyone should see if you haven't already. It's called Abducted in Plain Sight. And Jan, it is your story. Right. Yeah. Shelly, what's the best way to jump into this? So I was thinking, since Mary and I just watched it, we took some notes and there's just these things that hit us and that we wanted to ask. And so I think if we go along with our notes, kind of, sort of, because we're not really very organized in such a way. So we'll just let the conversation flow, obviously. Why don't we start with your family met a man named Robert Birchtold in your ward? Is that how it happened? So we met his whole family one day at church. A new family was sitting down there in the audience. And I think I might've even been singing a little solo in church that day. I know my mother was the chorister in our ward. And so after we, you know, I mean, you go to your classes and whatever, we used to have kind of a split uh, schedule for church, right? In the morning. And then you go back in the afternoon and And then that all got put into one big block of meetings. But Mm -hmm. I remember um, meeting first, I I think, in my Sunday school class was his son, who was my same age, Mm -hmm. and uh, met him, a new boy in in the Sunday school class. I was nine at the time. And lo and behold, as we met the dad, Robert Birchtold, and his wife, his lovely wife, Gail, and their five children... Their first three children pretty much matched myself and my two younger sisters in age. Mm. They had moved into a home just about two blocks away from us. And we immediately felt this, oh, how fun, because we all had a best friend. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's how the relationship began was, yeah, we met him in church. Right. So the movie, the way it's told, I think the, the documentary that does a really good job of sort of laying it all out. And yeah, there are flashbacks to a different time and then that catches you up to what's going on in in sort of the present. But right away, you hear a tape recording of, I don't know, was it just his journal entries or was it later a confession? But he says, I knew I had found the little girl I was searching for. And that statement right away kind of gets you as an audience member watching this. It's just, it immediately gets you with, holy moly, this guy is a pedophile. Like, you get it right away. Right. And I was curious, when you first saw that or watched the documentary, and, and I'm sure you'd heard that tape before, but what was that like watching it? You know, I really had not heard those tapes other than the ones that he had recorded that I thought were real of the alien voices. Mm. Yeah. He would do it like a journal on tape and he had all kinds of tapes. He, he taped passages to a book he was writing. He taped me, Yeah, you know, he would put my voice on tape. So all those things in the documentary that you're hearing are actual recordings of our voices or my sisters and my Mm -hmm. parents on that phone call. They're all real. I, I had a lot of people that thought that those were you know, recreations. I'm like, no, that's really his voice, our voices. You can tell how young and how tiny and little, you know, we all were. And certainly you can tell from his, you know, recording 
that this is who he was and I'm not the only victim. Mm-hmm. Um, my story is certainly crazy, but I'm not the only one. Right. So you eventually, though, maybe during filming or after after the documentary was filmed, you heard those tapes. What was that like? It was really kind of that gut wrenching. Yeah. Especially the the things that he said that he he would record those things and to hear them later after the fact and to know how calculating and manipulative and and how much he was trying to uh well and and he did he was a master at you know winning over each member of the family we all loved him mm-hmm. trusted him and knowing that underneath it all there was all along this plan that he had that he was going to execute. And I think that the hard part about watching a documentary that takes a seven year story and puts it into, you know, 90 minutes, there's so many things that you can't really fully explain or talk about. And so it's great to have an opportunity to answer some of those kinds of questions because people sometimes forget that I was nine when they moved in and we met them and I was 12 when he kidnapped me. So Mm. it was a three years of building trust and communication and best friendship with my mom and my dad and with all of us kids becoming close, close friends. We were like, you know, more like family. Yeah. Yeah. That definitely does make a difference because just watching the documentary, it's easy to get so angry right out of the gate, you know? Right. But I think about friends, close family friends that I've had for three, four years, and I could see myself being trusting, you know, and and thinking, well, I trust this person. It's it's okay. Maybe sort of questioning in my mind, kind of like how we see your parents reacting. Yeah. He had positions of leadership in the church. He was on the high council. He was Sunday school teacher. He was very well versed in, you know, what we would call the gospel. He, he knew how to talk the talk and, and he knew how to use every single bit of it. And much of it is what he used in order to, you know, take a familiar teaching or something that you may have grown up with thinking about Mm -hmm. and being taught about and would use that and twist that to his own designs. Right. And the majority of children who are abused sexually, they're not abused by a stranger. Yeah. So if you can relate to my parents and you can relate to our story, you're more likely to see something that is subtle because trust me, my parents were amazing and we had an amazing childhood mm-hmm. and I could not have asked for two better parents. Yeah. So when people are angry with my parents, I'm like, it's because you haven't been able to relate what happened to them to your own life. Cause I can guarantee you that someone, you know, right now is molesting somebody, you know, and love right now. Right. Mm. The reason that we decided to tell the story, I mean, nobody got paid. My mom and dad didn't make one dime. I didn't make any money. None of us got paid anything except my little 10% of whatever the Netflix thing mm-hmm. I mean, we didn't know it was going to go on Netflix. We we did it all as a public service, to be honest. I mean, we all decided to tell the story, write about the story, and do all the public speaking that we've done. We've never been paid. It's not that was never the reason that we did it. I knew that our family had survived something amazing and incredible. And I knew that as wild a story as it was, it was also happening to millions yeah. of children. Yeah. Right now adults who had been through some sort of sexual abuse by somebody that they knew, that they loved, that they trusted in their congregation, their home, their community center, their school, their neighborhood. And I'm like, I know that I have this story that I guess you could call it entertaining (laughs) because it's wild, but I knew that it was a common story that we were missing the boat by just talking about, you know, stranger abduction and sex trafficking of kids by strangers that, you know, kidnap them or whatever. These are all terrible things, but it's not nearly as big a problem as sexual assault of children by people they know, love, and trusted. Mm. I had survived it. I had thrived. My family had survived it and thrived. We all loved each other. And I had this huge knot in my stomach that I was supposed to say something Mm -hmm. and bring it out from the dark 
shadows. Absolutely. I'm so glad that you brought that up, that your parents wanted to do this to help, you know, because as someone who doesn't know the whole story, you watch it. And to be honest, your, your parents come off pretty naive, I guess, in the story where you're going, what in the world? But to look through that and see the humility and the bravery they would have to have to want to be public about it now, that's huge, Jen. And I yeah. really appreciate that. And I recognize yeah. that. And and for you as well. I mean, that's, you know, you were a child, but that's still just as harmful. Real quick, you'd mentioned that Robert Birch told was in the, the High Council for any of our non-ex-LDS, whatever listeners, High Council, when someone's a High Councilman, that person like made it. That man has been interviewed. He is worthy. This is what you're led, led to think anyway. Right. Um, someone bad is not going to get through that many layers of theoretically. priesthood. Theoretically, right. right. And so, yeah, you're going to trust him. Just like we are told as Mormons growing up that you trust your bishop, that he's going to look out for you. High councilman is like on the stake level. That's a, a notch above. Right. The difficulty for, you know, people of faith mm-hmm. is... You have to, and and I said this in an interview with Diane Sawyer many years ago, because she was kind of asking a question about, well, are your parents naive because they're highly religious? And I said, no, I don't believe that my parents were naive. My parents are smart people. My father ran a very successful business, you know, for 40 years. My mother was the Lama Delta Sigma chapter chair. She she ran pageants and she ran community events and she was very active in civic things and politics as well as as our, you know, church things. And I think that people get an idea about, you know, they, they see and they only see a, a small portion. You can't, mm-hmm. you know, show all these things in 90 minutes. And right. so they just immediately think that people must be naive for this to have happened to their child. That's why I'm saying I want to overcome that somehow because my parents were smart people. They were business people. They were civic-minded. They were political. They, they had all kinds of parts and pieces of their life that made them very full. You know, they they, they weren't, you know, uh, back in the woods in some scary little hillbilly town and never mm-hmm. had a, you know, college education. My mother was a social worker. And I think it's really important because I believe that, like Diane Sawyer asked me that question, I said, no, I think the problem is if you teach a child or you have faith in something, are you also searching for facts? Are you curious? Do you read? Do you let that be a full experience? Because that's what we were allowed to do as children. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was raised in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I was raised that way. We were encouraged to be curious, to ask questions. We, We had lots of conversations with our parents, we could ask them anything, tell them anything, discuss anything. And, you know, we were never shamed. We were never guilted. I didn't have that kind of a childhood. I had parents who were very open and open-minded and open-hearted. I mean, we had friends of all faiths and non-faith. And Mm -hmm. my my mom and dad were really extraordinary, you know, because I know that not everybody has that. Right. That, you know, they're closed off or they're shamed or guilted into whatever. And we weren't. Mm -hmm. And so to me, that's even makes it even more interesting and more important to see that the master manipulator, that pedophile who had this design, this decision to, she's the one for me, yeah, had so many tactics. There was such subtle and restraint and the most patient pedophile. You know, if I've, if I've read about anybody that, that is a pedophile or people that do terrible things to other, especially to children. This man was just like patient and getting all the pieces put together. So he would then have something to black right. out my dad or my mother. Yeah. My parents right. were human beings who made mis- some mistakes. They certainly had no idea that their mistakes that they were making was with a pedophile. So a lot exactly. of the stories that get started in the documentary, they don't get completed. Like my mm. parents retracted the affidavit. 
that they signed. Oh. Like three days later, there's a whole article in the newspaper. Well, it didn't make the documentary. You're right. It didn't. We'll get to that. But that's. I'm glad that you brought that up. Almost every human being, I'm certain, can think of some things where they were manipulated or conned, yeah. and they didn't see that in the moment. It's so interesting to me that I've spent more time talking about this than I've spent talking about the pedophile who had this thing planned out in yeah. so many ways and how he would separate. Yeah, That's the first thing they do is they make a special relationship with this one and a special relationship with that mm-hmm. one so they can separate the people out. And then my sister, Karen, who's very wise, she says they create like this whole smoke screen over here. So you're worried about yourself mm-hmm. and what you're doing or not doing or trying not to do so that you're not noticing maybe a subtle thing that might send up a red flare or a red flag and go, why are they paying so much attention to Jan or to my child? Yeah, Your parents don't come across to me as bad people. They come across to me as being loving and so regretful. Seeing your dad break down and cry, it just hurt me to see. It was like, I can see that he and your mom both love you kids. And when you're talking about how um, Bob Birch told designed this entire thing to get everyone to trust him and everyone to love him so that no one is even thinking anything when he's doing this to what an outsider looks like crazy, crazy shit. There was the part in the documentary early on where you talk about you were on your trampoline at a sleepover and you wake up and Bob is next to you. B, let's call him B. He's next to you and your underwear is down, but he had an explanation for you. And you said in the documentary, I would have believed anything he said. Right you know something is amiss or wrong or whatever. And of course he had this whole explanation, but I went in the house and his wife said, come and sleep in the bed with me. And I don't know what she thought. I don't know Mm. what she knew. Mm -hmm. Robert Birch told and his wife uh, had decided they were going to adopt. I think she was 10, a 10 year old girl from Mexico, but you should read the letters of recommendation and support that they, these are wonderful people who are trying to make a difference in the life of a poor child from Mexico. Wow. And then when, when they actually went to Mexico to get the girl, the mother decided she didn't want to let her go, even though they were in the horrible poverty and whatever. That, so the little girl didn't ever come back with them. But do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. You look at that letter of recommendation that was written by somebody. In fact, I think Cor Hoffman in the documentary wrote a letter of recommendation because he was part of our neighborhood family. And you can hear him say at one point on that boating trip that he just got a weird feeling. And he said, I didn't want anything else to do with him. And I didn't let my kids and whatever, but I don't know if he ever shared those feelings with my mom and dad. He had written a letter of recommendation for them to go adopt a a 10 year old from Mexico. Wow. So do you Mm. see what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. He came across as the Pied Piper. He was so much Mm -hmm. fun. He had all the fun toys and the snowmobiles and the trampolines and the boats and the stuff that we didn't have. Yeah. And most of the people in our immediate neighborhood and circle of of family and friends that that we consider our close friends didn't have those things, but but they did. Yeah, he was loved. Mm -hmm. Yeah. People came up to mom and dad and said, well, you're not going to press charges, are you? He didn't hurt her. He just had a mental breakdown. He said he just went through a depression and just then he couldn't come back into the United States because you guys got the FBI involved. You know, he had a story to fit whoever he was talking to. I have a brother who's kind of like, you know, every kid loves him. And sometimes I've thought, like, I wonder if that looks bad because he's always playing with the kids. He's not a pedophile. Like, there's never been any anything. But, you know, you kind of think those guys that are great with kids... It doesn't necessarily mean that they're pedophile. Well, especially especially in the 70s, you know, your mom was like, I'd never known a pedophile before. Like, I didn't know it existed. Yeah, they didn't know what the word meant. They'd heard of a child molester. In the documentary, it said in 1974, the LDS church reprimanded Birch Told for his involvement with another girl. That was pretty much all the information we got. Do you know how he was reprimanded. Did word get out that this had happened? Did they just move him to a different ward? Because, you know, we hear about things now that are pretty offensive and, and that need to be changed as but far as the church goes. there wasn't an internet back then. Yeah, there was not an internet <laughs> back then. So, you know. Those things were uncovered in the discovery phase for the documentary. And mm-hmm. there was one point where he was reprimanded for something. I know he told my mom and dad about 
something. But of course, with his whole way of spinning and his way of saying whatever, it was just in the in the moment of sharing personal information with them, but never did he say that, oh, it was a young girl. It was, you know, mm. none of that. Nobody knew. There were no records that were available to the members in that ward or that anybody would ever say anything about it. You know, gotcha. they were kept sealed or quiet or whatever, which I guess, you know, there's a good side to that and there's a bad side to that. And the problem is if it's something to do with this kind of a problem with, you know, pedophilia, it, yeah. it's not one and done and it doesn't end. And somehow we have to be able to know, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's looking it up on a database, we have to be able to know it can't be hidden away from us. No, I think it's very well hidden. So he must have become, B, we're talking about, he must have become a high councilman. Would this be after the church reprimanded him for his involvement with another girl? You know, I can't remember which time the documentary, the the piece of material, do you have a date? It said in 1974, the church reprimanded Birch Told for his involvement with another girl. That's all I have from the documentary. 1974 is the, is the year that I was kidnapped. So he was made high councilman. Before that, probably. Yeah, but if he was being reprimanded for it in 1974, it may have been something that happened earlier, but maybe he wasn't reprimanded until this thing with me. I don't really know. Yeah. Yeah. Like in the ward that I was in, I'm positive that he had had at least some kind of something had happened with another girl that was a couple years older than me. Gotcha. I've talked to her in a roundabout kind of way. Mm. There are a few things in the documentary that it's been awesome so far. You've been able to clear up a lot of kind of hanging stories. But there's the part where there's a psychiatrist who tells B that in order for him to be cured of his abuse that he went through as a child, he needs to lay with girls and listen to these tapes. And we see this on the documentary. We're like, holy shit, they went along with that? What in the world so what's the story there? What's the background? We we know now that he wasn't a real psychiatrist. Who was this was guy? That, yeah, was that a therapist, an actual therapist? Yeah, do you know much about that? Yeah, okay, so I can tell you the kind of the world around that whole thing. That Hopefully this will help all those listening. Cool. He went to a, a therapist that was in Beverly Hills. Mm-hmm. He came back with a letter that basically said, this is what this therapist has outlined for me to overcome my depression Mm. and the abuse that I suffered as a child. I'm supposed to lay by a child that is about the same age as when my depression started. Mm -hmm. You know, I was 10, 11, you know, when this whole, all this abuse was happening and then my, my depression had started and, and I'm supposed to play these tapes while I lay there, these tapes that they have given me. Mm Mm-hmm. So, you know, and again, we're a couple years into this relationship. This is like the most trusted, you know, person. My parents would have probably signed us over to, to the Burstholds if something were to happen to them. I mean, they were next to my, my dad's twin brother. Mm-hmm. This family was like the next one that we were the most, you know, involved and closest to. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So they're like, okay, well, that's fine. So it's not a closed door to the bedroom situation. He's not under the covers with me. Yeah. I'm asleep. Okay. I don't even remember him ever doing this. Okay. So I'm asleep. So he would come over about, I don't know, nine 30, whatever time of night I'm in bed asleep. My dad's tucked me in, read me a story. I mean, that's the kind of dad and mom I had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't remember ever waking up. I don't think he ever touched me. I don't think anything actually happened. I honestly think that whether this therapist who we then determined during the course of this documentary that he wasn't real. Nobody knew that then, Mm -hmm. but he would lay there and he would listen. He'd put the big earphones on, listen for about 30, 20 to 30 minutes. Mom said, she's like, most of the time I was doing laundry and folding clothes and walking in and out of the bedroom, putting clothes away. Mm -hmm. And he's laying there and listening to his tape. And then he'd come upstairs and talk to us for, you know, 15, 20 more minutes and say goodnight and away go and go home. Gotcha. There's a, part of me that actually feels like maybe he really was thinking that somehow he could cure himself. Hmm. Maybe it was not all just a big sham, that part. Okay. Because this was not too many months before, if I do the timeline myself, of course, I don't know this in real time. I know this now looking back, that he was looking at buying a motorhome and then had bought a motorhome. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. 
like during the same time as he's listening to these tapes. So I don't know. We know now in hindsight that he definitely had had some other experiences. We don't know the depths. We don't know the details, but he had definitely had other things happen with young little girls because he had moved around and out of certain communities. Mm-hmm. And we now know some names of other people that have come forward to say, oh my gosh, this guy did this to me when I was a little girl. He didn't do the tapes, but I know one girl he did do the tapes on. Wow. It was after me. I was the first one, I think, that he used that elaborate, you know, alien and the voices and the tapes on. Yeah. Yeah. But we know names of some girls before me in other cities. So if I look at the timeline, I can go, oh yeah, he was buying a motorhome. So maybe he really was trying to fight this thing. Like I, I'm going one step beyond where I've ever been before. <laughs> you know, I'm going to take her. I mean, maybe certainly in a documentary that's an hour and a half here, you condense a lot. We've talked about that, but It seems like a strange therapy technique from what we know about therapy today. It seems unusual. By today's techniques, but I don't know if you watched my Dr. Oz show and he interviewed me. He told me the name of that therapy where they were given tapes. It was by kind of like by association, like I am associating by laying by this child or this age person. You know, he said there is a name for that therapy and it was debunked as it was not effective, but it was a real thing. Mm. Ever since I went on the Dr. Oz show and he told me that, I was like, oh, well, maybe it really was. Maybe it was real. So my parents weren't completely, you know, stupid, but they also weren't suspect. Right. So how do you get the balance there? Yeah. So we can prevent it and we can see the things that should raise some kind of inner, I call it a blue sound wave, because I think red flag is way too easy. It's a little tiny blue sound wave that kind of goes through your chest or your heart or your gut for like, you know, 10 seconds, if that, that you're kind of like, well, that seems a little off or a little weird Mm -hmm. or a little like too much or something. But then the next thought is like any brainwashed person. Oh, but that's so-and-so. He's the bishop or that's so-and-so. He's my brother or that's so-and-so. That's our best friend. Exactly. The first thought is, oh, are the aliens real? I better find out before I kill myself and my sister. Yeah. Yeah. Then the next thought is like, I'm just kidding. I know you're real. I won't do anything. So please don't hurt my family. That's the second thought. Yeah. Let's talk about Mexico for a second. Um, It's possible some of our listeners have not seen this documentary and you should go see it right now. I'm not going to say shame on you because we don't do shaming. We don't shame. We don't guilt and shame on this show, (laughs) but I highly recommend it. Yeah. (laughs) So he takes you to Mexico and clearly you're drugged throughout this whole drive there mm-hmm. and you wake up and you hear these tapes these garbled messages that sound like they're from aliens what i think is particularly clever about what he does is that he puts the onus on you to almost pursue him mm-hmm. yeah and again i've done a lot of studying in my adult life about you know brainwashing and mind control and manipulation and how master manipulators work. And you can see it certainly in my story. There's others that you could also look at and see how that happens where, where the victim becomes the one who the person is trying to get them to be the instigator of the crime or of the, of the sex or of the whatever. There's a lot of examples, but mine's a pretty good one where He's cut himself. He looks like he's dead. I haven't seen anybody for what I think was about a day and a half, two days, except these tapes, you know, that keep playing over and over again and waking me up. And I'm drugged. Mm-hmm. And at one point they say, we, now it's time for you to meet the male companion. Right. I get up and I'm not strapped to the bed by my wrists or my ankles anymore. And I, I get up and the partition that was there for those couple of days is down, it's gone. And I can walk to the front of the motorhome and there on the little motorhome couch is B, you know, that's my second father. That's the person I trust almost as much as my own dad. Yeah. He's laying there and he looks dead and he's covered in blood. And I'm the one that's shaking him to wake him up and saying, you know, wake up, wake up, B, B, we've been taken. We've been taken. Mm -hmm. Oh, God. And we have a mission. Yeah. I don't even understand what the mission is. I understand just a tiny bit that 
that we've been saved for this special mission and it's you and me. I'm the female companion. You're the male companion. I'm explaining it to him. Right. It's pretty amazing, pretty elaborate. And then same thing when it comes to the finally like, oh, you mean the mission means that we're supposed to have a baby to save a dying planet? Mm -hmm. I'm telling him what the mission is. And I know nothing about sex. I mean... You were 12. And I'm an innocent 12 because I'm the yeah. oldest in my family. My one friend, Caroline, that is still to this day my best friend. I mean, we maybe had had a couple little talks and got into one of her little health books that her mom had. <laughs> These little books and <laughs> looked up like what the, what the body parts are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, I mean, I really have no, no other understanding about any of it. And so here, you know, B finds these books that are in the motorhome and they're books like, you know, like those, those books that were kind of the first of their kind, like 101 positions or whatever, you know, wow. was around, you know, that had been published back in the seventies. And he's like, Oh my gosh, look at these books. This can help us. Wow. Oh my God. There's so much that's not in the documentary. Yeah. Wow. But anyway, that's like kind of how it happened. And I'm looking at things and trying to take it in and, and I'm scared and I'm, I'm way pre-puberty is, is an understatement. Yeah. And I didn't start puberty until I was 17. So anyway. Okay. So you believed based on these tapes that you actually were half alien. Mm-hmm. I remember you saying it wasn't that far-fetched when you think about that in the church, we were, we were brought up to believe in Mary and that Mary basically was with God and, and then Jesus was born. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so it wasn't a stretch necessarily. No, and that's what's so interesting about really, I don't even know if he was, if he studied, you know, brainwashing techniques or whatever, but that's called inculcation. Like you take a familiar story and then you inculcate it mm-hmm. with a few twists or a few things you change a little bit, but the, the majority of the story is plausible. It's something the victim or the, you know, whoever is going to, you're using this brainwashing technique on is going to accept because the majority of the story is familiar to them. Yeah. And so you take Mary, Joseph, and Jesus story, and then God, the father being the father of Jesus. It's like, okay, well, Jesus, who was supposed to save a dying, our dying planet or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever is the savior of the world or the universe or however you were brought up to believe. Sure. If I now am supposed to have this special child because it is their savior for an alien universe yeah. and I'm half alien because my mother is my real mother. Her name's Mary, by the way, uh-huh. she was over, overshadowed by some alien being. She doesn't remember, right. of course, Sure. you know, and ha- had me. So my dad is like Joseph, you know, he's my caretaker and I love him so much, but whoever my mother was, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. and you, you mix all the things that people do to get somebody to believe them. All those things were already present. I was isolated. All my information was, was being fed to me by a single source. And I also am in absolute fear that they can exterminate me or evaporate me at any moment if I don't do what what they tell me or if I don't follow their instructions they'll just take Susan because she also was half alien and half human right did you feel like maybe you were somehow special or chosen because of this totally they they play into every aspect you know the fear is mixed with the but you're incredibly special and we've been watching you since you were born and you know, you have this incredible mission. And again, I've heard the word mission my whole life. You know, people go on missions, they have special callings, they, you know, all of those things that, that um, you're raised with in your, in your religious faith, you know, can be used totally twisted, used against you. You can, you can make somebody, especially if they're isolated, you can take what they already know, especially if they're a child and don't, don't have all the powers of, you know, deduction and reasoning yet developed. Yeah. You see it with adults all the time as well. It happens to people all the time. It happens to people that sign up for any kind of a religious dogma and then refuse to look at anything else and never, never want to be curious again. It's just sad. It is sad. I don't know. Humans kind of want to be told what to do. It, I guess it is more comfortable because they don't have to figure things out on their own, you know? Yeah. 
So Shelly, this sounds like a good time for a break. I agree. We'll be right back. And we're back. Hello. There was one especially heartbreaking moment in Mexico when you were talking about looking up through the skylight or whatever and seeing leaves and just looking at the leaves blowing, mm-hmm. uh, the wind blowing through the leaves, and you were kind of hanging on to that, almost like a, I don't know, a security blanket or something. Yeah, it was it was during, you know, one of the abuse sessions where he's doing whatever he's doing, you know, the sex that it, it's not comfortable. It's never enjoyable and it's never, um, you know, even though I was, I feel on some levels I was lucky because it, he wasn't, a, it wasn't a violent kind of rape. It was just the most confusing and in a little tiny body. Yeah but he wasn't violent in that way. So what I would do is I would just look up at the leaves and just count, count the leaves. Wow. If I could just focus on something else, then I could try to not feel or not focus on what was actually happening. Had he been violent, it wouldn't have matched up with this entire story he was telling you of who he was. And, Mm -hmm. you know, but just because it wasn't violent doesn't make it any better. Right. You can see it because you can see how it affected who I was mm-hmm. as a person and as a personality towards my family and and how that, again, like what you said a little while ago about him getting me to be the leader of this yeah. relationship was so somehow important to him because he wanted it on some level to be long-term. And yet... And yet, it's so interesting because he had already identified his next child, his next little girl, between kidnapping one and kidnapping two, when he spent time in that mental hospital. He actually was treated by a nurse whose daughter became his next victim. Oh, my God. This psychiatric nurse, she's not a dumb person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You'd think she would know better. You'd think that she would be able to see the signs. But that's how devious and how good and how well he planned this out. Because you get caught, you come back from Mexico, and instead of you being so glad to be back home and, you know, I never want to see him again, I can't believe he did this, you wanted to be with him. You wanted to be married to him. That's how devious he was. He had his claws in you even after he had kidnapped you. You wanted to be with him. What was it like for you between kidnappings? Yeah, that's so interesting because I was one of those very, you know, kind of sweet and and uh, people pleaser, obedient and, you know, innocent and didn't even really listen to the radio. <laughs> Just kind of a, there wasn't a devious bone really in my body. But as yeah. soon as I got home and I knew that they were watching and I s- still had this mission to perform, to have this baby to save the dying planet. And I was supposed to have this done before I was 16. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm home and now I'm 13 and now I'm 14. And I would come home from school and tell my mom that I was going to go on a bike ride and I'd see her in an an hour or whatever. Don't worry, I'm, I'm going on a bike ride. And I'd go and I'd received a note from what we used to call hoods at school, from a hood at school. (laughs) Okay. It would say, go to this phone booth at this time, sit on the floor and the phone will ring. And sure enough, that's what I would do. I would do it and the phone would ring. And on the other end of the line, it was either B or it was Zeta or Zethra with their high-pitched monotone voice. Oh, wow. Wow. And so they would tell me what to do, what my instructions were, that I couldn't you know, have a relationship with my dad or any males, yeah. no males. The only person, male, that I could have a relationship with was the male companion, you know, and I was supposed to resist this, 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 and this, and no hugging, and da-da-da-da-da. And so I went from having... A dad who read me a story, tickled my back and put me to sleep, you know, in my, in my bed to never hugging my dad, Mm. to avoiding him. And, you know, the amazing part was, is that my dad would just say things like, I don't know what happened or I don't know what's wrong, but I love you no matter what. Mm. I, I honestly, I do not remember one time where he reacted in a way that I would react if my son all of a sudden quit hugging me, talking to me. Yeah. 
I mean, I would be hurt and I would get upset whether it was emotional or whatever. My dad was just like, I love you no matter what. Mm, (laughs) That's sweet. Yeah. You know, it didn't matter. And, and I look back on that and I just think, Oh my gosh, I don't know how my parents and my sisters survived me. I was so awful and so different than I had been, you know, before, but you know, to me, I was trying to save their lives and I was trying to finish a mission that was, you know, saving a planet, but it was really hard because it was like, I was acting like two different people. Yeah. It was actually really, really, really hard. I bet it was. I loved my family so much and I felt like I was hurting them. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I have a question about that. So how much of your interest in still being with him after that had to do with your actual interest in him or your fear because of the mission and the alien messages and thinking that harm would come to your family? You know, it's probably a good 50-50 because when I look at all of it, I believed it all. I thought it was real. So at that time when you're 13 and 14 and 15 and even leading up to that 16th birthday, when I still wasn't pregnant, I still hadn't had the alien child to save the dying planet. I look back on all of it and I thought it was real. Yeah. So, you know, already as a real part of my personality, I'm very concerned about the greater good. That's how I've always been as a kid. Like mm-hmm. if the boys in fifth grade were throwing rocks at the second grader who was on crutches and I'm a third grader, I'm screaming at the fifth grade boys, even though mm-hmm. I'm this tiny thing and and they, they could, you know, totally beat me up. That's just kind of Jan Broberg. I just, I care about the underdog. And for me now I'm in the middle of this mission. This is important. Yeah, I'm supposed to be, you know, able to handle whatever hardship happens so that I can do this greater good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm protecting my family and I'm also saving a dying planet. So there's great good right there. On the other end, how do you survive in a world like that without truly saying, well, I need to love this person because I'm highly moral, mm-hmm. at least from what I've been taught. So if I have to be you know, going through this sexual experience I and, and it's with my you know, this man who was like a second father, well, I better make him into the person that I love and that I want to be with and that I'll marry and I'll do all the right things. Wow. There's a whole series for this topic because it's like what we do to survive Yeah, many times is we have to learn how to love or allow the person that is abusing us to be the person that we love in order to survive living in that world with that abuser. Yeah. Yeah. But that's what it was like. It was like, well, of course I'm going to, you know, I already loved the guy. I already loved him like a father. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was as close almost to me as my, as my favorite uncle. I mean, I, I had some wonderful and my own father, I had wonderful relationships with a lot of grown men in my life that were good men. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and he hadn't hurt you. He hadn't hurt you. You weren't afraid of him. Yeah. The entire story that was told to you, he was kind of your your buddy in this, and you two were going to save the world together. And and thank God you two had each other in this, right? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. It was like he also had been kidnapped or had been chosen. Yeah. You know what I mean? Wow. I mean, looking back on it, it's so easy to see it all. But when you're in the middle of that, it's like how, you know, terribly abused children survive. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I know it is complicated. Have you ever thought about doing a podcast and releasing this all in a series? Yeah. And my son and a couple of different friends that are around his age have all said, let's do this. We got to do it. And I'm like, I just don't know how to outline it, I guess, and and know how to actually do it. But yeah, I have. We should talk. Yeah, we should talk. Because you could take the documentary and break it up into like 10-minute clips and do an entire episode on every 10 minutes. Because I know there's so much more there's in so there. so much more. Yeah. And talking about everything you just told us about how the victim loves the perpetrator because that's the only way they can survive. I mean, this is fascinating. It's horrifying and it's fascinating yeah. all at one time. and. I want to say I'm so sorry you went through this and I'm so impressed by your strength to get through it and to want to talk about it and to try to save others. I just, it's beautiful. It is beautiful. Way to turn a horrific traumatic experience into something that does good. Yeah. Yep. That's amazing. But it's just so 
common. Yes. This isn't some weird story that happens to one in a million girls. I, I, th- I think we were doing some studies and it was upwards of 75% of women by the time they're adults, they've been sexually assaulted. Yeah. That's a lot of people. And it's not from some random drunk guy that, that beats you up and takes you behind a dumpster in an alley. This is from your uncle, your neighbor, your brother, your father. Yes. It's just a big deal. Yeah, it really is. And there were no child abuse laws in 1974. Wow. So if you really think about it, the children, that's the point of me telling my story. It's like, this is so common. Yeah. When are we going to wrap our heads around the numbers and let that move us to action, to doing something? Things can change. They can be stopped. Yep. I often say there's no more dancing bears in India. And there used to be yeah. a lot of them that people poked with a stick and got them to dance for money. Mm-hmm. And things change. And now there are no more dancing bears in India. You can't find a dancing bear anywhere. Right. Exactly. Children and this, this issue actually is happening and matters. Yes. Get it out of the dark, out of the corners, out of the shadows, into the light, and bring all the perpetrators out into the wide open as well and put them where they belong in jail unless they can yep. be rehabilitated, which I have not seen proof of that yet. But <laughs> right. we have to do something. There are so many, like you said, 75%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've read that statistic too. that the number of people that are uh, the, of women that are sexually assaulted by someone they know yeah and maybe for a lot of them that's just one time so maybe that's why it's 75% but still one time is one time enough it's not okay not okay one time I, is enough to cause trauma that is for sure absolutely and you know it's interesting because assault sounds like such an aggressive word and so you think well no 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 i wasn't i wasn't beat up or anything i was no 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 it's still assault yes. it's illegal it's it's still harmful and you don't get over it and you don't just move on and it doesn't matter if it was one time or if it was aliens and an rv right it's still destroys you on the inside. Yes. And the more we can speak up, just like you've said, the more we talk about it, the more people wake up and be like, oh, we need to do something about this. Right. And if you're the one who's being abused and you don't want to wreck this guy's life because he's such this, you know, this pillar in the community, you need to remember that you are not the only one who he is abusing. There is going to be more. There were probably more before you. Yep. And it has to stop. And I, I don't like that. I, I probably sound like I'm putting it, the onus on the victim to make it stop. But just understand you're not the only one that's, that this is happening well, and to. And I want to add something to that. Just because you're a girl in the LDS faith doesn't mean you're any less important than yeah. a priesthood holder or someone holding some sort of position of power in the church. Yes. You are just as important and your voice matters just as much. And don't, Put those feelings aside because someone seems uh, intimidating to you or in a position of power. Yeah, here, no, I agree. Here. That is so true. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And, you know, I think young people, too, need to know that their voices, I think they're the ones that are going to solve it because yes. they seem so, so much more fierce yes. and yeah. so willing to say, nope. I don't believe that. My kids, they're badasses. They don't take shit from anybody. They'll be the first ones to tell you, don't look at me like that. Yes. Right. Um, And so what I think our parents' generation would probably deem as disrespect or getting out of line, that's what's needed is for these kids to be like, I am just as important as you, and you're not going to tell me that this is okay, and I'm going to think for myself. It might be a little irritating as a parent from time to time, <laughs> but this this strength and hard-headedness and desire to be themselves, yep. that might be what it takes to get this thing fixed, you know? Yes. I really do think that that's, that's the honest truth because they, they have so much more information at their fingertips. Yes. They know so much and they're willing to talk about it and they're not afraid, at least right. most of them. Now, somebody that's grown up with abuse, who lives in a state of fear. Sure. And we have to help empower that child, now adult. Yes. We do. We really do because they still feel afraid. Well, And those frightened children are the ones that pedophiles are going to see a mile away and they're going to go after. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They know how to pick them. That's really who they target, pleasers or those that are a little bit scared and they're pretty sure no no way are they going to talk or tell. Right. Yeah, it's true. Mm. 
We're going to all keep up doing what we're doing and get the word out. I think it's fantastic how outspoken you are because this has to be, or at least at one time, it had to be really difficult for you and your family to come forward to talk about it. It was. It was it was very hard for my dad. It was really hard. So that that's another interesting thing about the documentary. I've had people say, well, your mom just seems so you know, cold and like, and I said, my mom's been talking about this for 20 years. Yeah. And my dad, this was the first time Wow. he agreed to all of it. He, he always supported mom and I going and talking, but he was like, Oh, I just, I can't stand to talk about it. Cause I just feel so ashamed. Yeah. You know, I'm supposed to be your protector. I should have seen it. I should have, you know, I think my dad went to his grave feeling like, like somehow he was supposed to have seen it. Mm. And I said, dad, he was a master manipulator. He manipulated you as much as he did me or mom or anybody else. You've got to forgive yourself. Right. It was so hard for him. Even watching the documentary for the first time, I was shocked with what he had said. Yeah. The fact that my dad opened up in, in such detail. Yeah. We had never seen that before until I'm watching it. And I literally, the first time I saw it, I was like, you got to take that out. That's going to kill my dad. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that he said it, but still it's going to kill him because you got to tell more of the story about how my dad grew up with his cousins and his twin brother on a farm and, you know, masturbation happened, you know, like my dad is not this person. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like, it's so hard for me. And then I finally, I, I got to the point and I told, I called my dad and I was crying. I was like, oh my gosh, I, I'm going to ruin everybody's life Aww. by having said yes and having all of you say yes to this documentary. And, and you know what my, my mom's response was, what? is it going to help people that maybe wouldn't see those signs? Because a lot of times they, they first of all, try to manipulate the mom or the dad in order to get to the kids, you know? Yeah. And I said, well, yeah. And my dad said, you know what? I'm at peace mm. with who I am. I know that I didn't know as much as I still feel ashamed like I should have. I do know on some other level that it wasn't my fault and that I've done everything in my life to try to make up for my mistakes. And so it's, it's okay. I'm going to be okay. Right. I would never have survived. I don't think what I, what I survived without the parents that I had. Wow. Just this hour that we spent with you has been eye-opening yeah. for me. And mm-hmm. I feel like my understanding of the situation is so much greater. Mm-hmm. Like my heart is now breaking for your parents instead of being a little angry at them, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. So when the documentary came out, dad had just died in November and the documentary came out in January. And we're my sister and I are like, we're taking stuff off of mom's Facebook every day. We're trying to make sure she doesn't <laughs> see all this hate mail and she goes what are you guys doing are you taking stuff off my facebook oh my gosh because people are mean yeah they don't know who you are right she's like oh she goes you know what if people are talking that's all that matters the problem with this child sex abuse is nobody talks about it uh. it doesn't matter i don't care wow good <laughs> for like, her that's a good attitude yeah. oh, you're the most courageous woman on the planet that yeah. does take courage seriously massive respect for your mom massive yeah, wow well, Jan, this has been amazing. I wish we could continue talking to you. I've, I have more questions. I know we haven't gone through everything in the documentary, so listeners, you're just going to have to go watch it. It's called Abducted in Plain Sight. It's on Netflix, and our guest has been Jan Broberg. Jan, thank you so much for joining us today. Appreciate I it. I appreciate you both and all you do to do this kind of work. I think it's really important. So thanks a million. So, Shelly, why don't we take one final break? And when we get back from commercial, we'll do patrons and Marco Polo channels announcements. I'm all in. Okay. Be right back. We're back. Hello. Hello. So how about that interview, huh? Whoo. That one is definitely one that makes you think. Yeah, it's a head scratcher. And you watch the documentary and there's just no way to get the whole story. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. I still don't know what to think about all of it, to be honest. Right. Yeah. It's super complicated. Yep. Wow. Just go watch it if you haven't. It's sort of mind-blowing. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Not just sort of mind-blowing. Ooh. Okay. You want to talk about some patrons? Yeah. Let's lighten it up a little bit with some patrons. Well, I would lighten it up, but we only have three new patrons. <laughs> so I'm lightening it up minus two. So it's like a semi-light. So heavier is five? I don't know, Mary. What are you trying to say? I don't. I'm just trying to say that we only have three new patrons, and I'm a little <laughs> bit in my sad place. Oh, you are? No. Okay. <laughs> wow, am I confused? Look, we know it's COVID. 
We know. We get it. Mm -hmm. People are struggling. People are not listening to podcasts. We were doing some yard work recently in our new place, and I popped in the old earbuds and listened to a podcast, and I really hadn't in a while because I'm no longer commuting like so many other people. And um, yeah, but I just listened to a podcast the other day for the first time in a couple of months. So I get it. Earbuds hurt my ears. You have little tiny baby ears. I, I do. When I put them in, it doesn't feel like they're too big for my ears, but they just start to hurt. Don't your ears ever start to hurt? No, because I have the adequate sized ear canals that <laughs> are made for earbuds. <laughs> so you're saying size matters. <laughs> In this case, yes. <laughs> okay, fine. Patrons. You need little baby earbuds for I your do tiny little, baby. little I wonder if they have ears. infant earbuds <laughs> to keep your baby sleeping all night. Sleeping like a baby. Huh. New Seems invention? like a choking hazard. I mean, yeah. yeah I guess you're right. <laughs> Maybe, what if they're edible? Nope, that's like weird gummy? too. Well, I guess babies don't. All right, never mind. Okay. okay. Patrons. Wow. <laughs> Shelly, don't quit your day job. I'm not having good ideas right now, and that is okay. <laughs> Number one patron, Emily B. Are we doing COVID names still? Uh, sure. Emily, bet your ass I'm wearing a mask. Oh, it's almost rhymey. I like oh, it. Thank you. Thank you. Next, Susie Y. Why? Because it's COVID. I don't know. <laughs> Doesn't need to start with a Y. Oh, the COVID last name? Yes, it's COVID. <laughs> I don't know. Sorry about that, Susie. <laughs> All right, lastly, Coda, K-O-T-A-G. Coda G. That's a cool name. Mm-hmm. Coda gonna never, ever, ever get the virus. Don't do it, Coda. Don't do it. Good. Just Good say you, no. Okay, that's our patron names. It's only three it for today. Kind of I feel like I want to like tell a, a cat story or something, but I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't have anything. Maybe that's why people didn't want to have any dead cat stories associated with their names. Oh my gosh! If you decide to join us on Patreon in the next week, make sure you put somewhere send me a message saying I am joining because I appreciate your cat story. Okay. Yeah. Watch, um, we're gonna get like a forty new patrons. You think? No. Okay. <laughs> All right, Channels members, we, once again, are having a blast on Channels. It's basically like video, what do you call it? Well, it's a video messaging service. Video messaging service. (laughs) So we leave videos and people leave videos in response to us and to each other. We're having a blast. Yeah, and the videos range in subject matter. This is also Someone, I will not name names, PCB, that's all I'm going to (laughs) say, makes pasta balls in her mouth out of dry pasta. Just putting that out there. You know who you are. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that was possible. So, um, Possible. Po- <laughs> Impossible. Uh-huh. That was good. That it's was good. quite a trick. Mm-hmm. Don't try this at home. <laughs> or do, I guess. Whatever. You know whatever you want. Do whatever the fuck you, you do want. You do you. You do you. Mm-hmm. All righty. Oh, channels. I was listing channels uh, oh, members. Did we not finish that up? I got sidetracked. I didn't even start it. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to tell you three people. Let's do it. We're on channels. First one, Jenny J. Mary, you got a COVID name for that? Just can I get back to society already? That was the longest last name <laughs> ever. Society. But it's yours now, Jenny. Well, I was going to say, can I get back to work? And I was like, mm. no, nah. <laughs> but society would be good. I mean, I'm still working. I We're just... lucky. We get to stay home and work. Some people yes. are not so lucky. Yes. Uh, but I would like to go to a restaurant and maybe a movie or something. Oh, my God. I would or kill. Or the beach. Yes, but when you said movie, I'm like, yeah, I love going to a movie and eating super salty buttery popcorn. Yeah, you guys, she seriously puts so much salt on her already salted buttery popcorn. Mary won't share my popcorn Mm -hmm. bucket with me. No. It's Mm -mm. too bad. Yeah, we try that. And so what you end up doing is transferring it to like another cup or something. And then salting every cup. Yeah. We should just get our own popcorn. Don't judge me, listeners. Don't (laughs) judge me. Okay, next channel's member. Ask Shelly about her high blood pressure. That's not the salt. It's mm-hmm, genetic. Mm-hmm. Anywho, <laughs> Katie Mack. Katie Mack. Love us some Katie Mack. She actually lives nearby. Yeah, she and sure does. And we have virtually pinky swore that when COVID is over and done with, we're going to meet up at a winery. Mm, yeah, there are a lot of wineries in her area, mm-hmm. as it turns out. Also, she's like six foot something. She six is. Two. She's six foot she's two. She's a tall drink of water, uh-huh. that Katie Mack. Mm-hmm. The last one I want to talk about is Jessica C. C stands for cop, and she is a police officer. She could not explain to me what money laundering is. I thought for sure, if you were trying to figure out what money laundering is... Ask a police officer? Ask a police officer. 
No. No? Sorry. Mm. Yeah, I still can't figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) I still, it doesn't matter how many, it's like the priesthood. It doesn't matter how many people try to like explain it to me in different ways. It still doesn't Mm -hmm. make sense to me. Although money is really dirty and it could use a little laundering. That's not what they're talking about. Okay. Just saying. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is that everybody? That is everybody, but I also need to plug our company. Other podcast? Yes. You see places travel podcast. Yeah, we should have uh, four episodes up Mm -hmm, by now. mm -hmm. Yeah, the first six are D.C., and then we're going to do the next ones. It's going to be either Philadelphia or Boston or New York. Coming right at (laughs) you. But I was going to say thanks, everyone, on Patreon and channels for your support. If you would like to support us in either of those places, please visit patreon.com slash latterdaylesbian or latterdaylesbian.org slash polo. Hmm. Sign up for all that shit. Do it! Yes. I'd like to thank Dan at Extension Audio. Thank Thanks you, for Dan. leaving it in, Dan. And for the rest of you, remember, steer clear of cults. Because <laughs> it's no fucking joke, kids. No joke at all. Talk to you later. Bye.